We become a race of peeping Toms. Something happened. Something was happening. I had no idea. Where is her treacherous husband now? But in a place where she can visit, if she wished, mine. It's with the ancestors. I'm yeah, I'm drinking, Luann. How can you hold cake and not eat it? Oh, shit, you guys got coke here. Oh, my God, of course. I mean, I know to you I'm just your old fat Aunt Maddie Faye. I'm more than that, sweetheart. These are godless times, Mrs. Snell. You're all fucking boring. With your piddling grievances over nothing, you're all fucking boring. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Best Supporting Podcast, a podcast dedicated to celebrating and dissecting the performances of our favorite Best Supporting Actresses. I said performances. My name is Nick Kachanov, and I could fuck this icebox. I love it so much. And my name is Colin Drucker, and you're so white. <laughs> it's a great line. I think that line has been like one of the few lines from this movie that for some reason always stuck with me for for years because I haven't seen this I hadn't seen this movie in years and yeah. for some reason one of the details I remembered was Matt Damon in that little bathing suit looking very white and Jude Law obviously commenting on it. Yes, it reminds me the two of them together him and Gwen Goop um, mm. uh, remind me of uh, like the two girls in the first season of The White Lotus just like silently judging people on the beach, you know? Oh, they totally are. Yeah. Oh, they totally are. Oh, my God. Sydney Sweeney as yes. Dickie Greenleaf. I'm into that yes. casting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, if, if any of these little these little hints or any indication, we are here to talk about 1999's The Talented Mr. Ripley. What a great year, 1999. Honestly, I I really think in my like limited, very subjective point of view, it was a cultural apex for us. I think I think we all we all collectively peaked in 1999. I'd say so. I was 13, probably just got, you know, my <laughs> husky pair of jeans from Kmart. <laughs> this it. is it. Doesn't yeah. get any better than this. <laughs> I'm ready for 7th grade, ma. Um Oh, but yeah. th- where did that come from? Because I feel that this is not the first time I've heard that. I don't know if it's like, you know, is there an article written about 1999? I feel like I've seen that or heard that elsewhere. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I don't think I'm coming up with this on my own. I do feel like this is something I've stumbled on, is that there's some sense that a lot of the movies that came out in 1999, I, I think, I don't know, it, it it's such an interesting time. I mean, I was 14. I had just graduated eighth grade. And so nice. I guess I really was, I really was top of the pops because I went to a K, K through eight Catholic school. So nice that I was like, this is it. It peaks here because after this, I go to the all boys Catholic high school. And it was, you know, it, it was like nine 11. <laughs> it was just everything yes. went downhill from there. Uh, <laughs> but I don't know. I, there's probably some very thoughtful, uh, explanation for why 1999 may have been either an artistic or a cinematic peak. And I'm sure there is also a point of view that would say 1999 was a terrible year because of this, 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 and this. So oh, sure. Don't, don't take any historical, uh, you know, takes from me on this little podcast about best supporting actresses about 1999. I'm mostly talking out my butt here. <laughs> Yeah, I feel I feel you could do that maybe for any year, but I do I feel like it was an article. I specifically remember some sort of article that just like talks it. But I love that shit. Like I'm sure you do too. Just like mm. 
think pieces on specific years in cinema and like yeah how it how it did provide that cultural shift i'm i'm into that well there was the you know and this was uh for for patreons may know this from the best supporting after show but there was that video i had assigned you for your best supporting assignment a few months ago about why i think why movies peaked in the 90s and it was and it it was similar to what we're talking about where it was a lot of original stories and it was there i think it was that the the budgets for original stories were so much higher than they are now and whereas now is a lot of remakes or a lot of sequels and this may sound hypocritical given the fact that the talented mr ripley is in fact an adaptation yeah but i i i still think of it as like i guess i think of the talented mr ripley as an example of like prestige 90s cinema yes very much so i mean i think this was the year that Shakespeare in Love came out, right? Or was that like, in, was it the 2000 Oscars for the 1999 movies, I feel? Because uh, that's when Gwyneth won her. If, if I'm wrong with that fact, like I feel like it was very close to her winning her Oscar uh, the mm-hmm. same year. So she was on top of top of the world. And she's great in this, honestly. Yeah, Shakespeare in Love was 1998. So she won the oh, Oscar in 1999. It, and then this came out in Chris- on Christmas of 1999. God. So, Ooh, a Christmas movie. I love that. This was a Christmas movie. I mean, I just, there's something about movies that come out around Christmas. Like Scream was a Christmas movie. I think Chicago did too. Dreamgirls came out around Christmas. Um, I love that. I love those types of movies. Well, The Talented Mr. Ripley got right in under the wire for great movies from the 90s. and, And I don't think I had seen this movie in maybe 20 years. Yeah, walk me through it. Walk me through the first time and everything in between. Well, I guess whenever the last time I saw this, I I certainly knew I was gay, and I certainly was picking up on some of the gay undertones of this movie, but hardly as many as I picked up on in 2023 at the right point of <laughs> yes. 38. Oh, my God. This movie makes Brokeback Mountain look like Veggie Tales. This movie is so <laughs> gay. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Like, I feel like a lot of people, like, Cruel Intentions was big, and I think yep. also came around about, came out around this time, but um, this would have been my Cruel Intentions, because, damn, like, I, I was so sad when he died, because <laughs> I was oh. just like, why can't we keep this story going? Um, right. But Jude Law is... I don't, I don't have the words for him in this movie. He is, he's so beautiful. Yeah. He's so hot and so cool. He is yeah, the, so hot he's, and so gay. He's the Eileen Davidson of the talented yes. Mr. Ripley. Yeah. Uh, and a really great uh, Oscar-nominated performance for Best Supporting Actor. I love that. I love that that was, I think, really the only performance that got uh, nominated for this. Am I right? For the Oscars, yes. Yeah, for and the then, Oscar, yes, sorry. Yeah, and then Kate Blanchett was nominated for Best Supporting a Actress BAFTA. for the from the BAFTAs, which I love. I just and and like again, let's be clear that she this is pre Tar, this is pre Lydia Tar, so she's Kate Blanchett, and <laughs> we're obviously going to talk about her quite a bit this episode. But I mean, oh God, I as much as I as much as I swoon over Jude Law in this movie, I just fawn over Kate Blanchett in this movie. Yeah, because it's so 
it just it doesn't feel like it's a type of character she would play now. Like she's mm-hmm. a sophisticated young woman, but she also has a little bit of like flightiness and a little bit of like I don't know, like silly girl energy, which I was very interested to watch. Yeah, I mean, it's like now she would, of course, be the Marge role. Like she's yes, she's, oh yeah, she's got Marge energy. She's got big Marge energy, but. Oh, I mean, this movie—you know, Jude Law, Kate Blanchett, Queen Philip—you know, uh, let's be bad, Jack Davenport. That for as much as this is a vehicle for Matt Damon, this is a bevy of great supporting performances. Yeah, honestly, and even though I, I'm, I never know how to speak about Matt Damon as an actor. Where do you? Where are you with him? <laughs> I think I'm in a new place with him since watching okay. this movie again. All right. I think I've always just kind of felt like Matt Damon was sort of, I don't know. I feel like when I think of Matt Damon, I know that he's, you know, he's won an Oscar for Goodwill Hunting and he's been nominated and he's been in, in great movies and whatnot. But then for some reason, I always think of that movie stuck on you. <laughs> the title sounds familiar, but I don't remember anything else beyond that. But that's a great that's a great throwback. I believe so. You know, like let's you know let let's check my oh, facts. I believe yes, he plays like conjoined twins, which would make sense. Oh my lord! And it's one of those like I think it's a um, like a Fairly Brothers movie or something like that. And I'm I'm vamping a little bit till I can scroll down and find it. But I'm pretty sure that it's not a prestige picture from the. There we go. Stuck on you from two thousand. 2003, which is a garbage year for movies, um, except for yes. the hours, obviously. Of course. It was a Fairly Brothers movie, uh, and it's conjoined twins from Martha's Vineyard moved to Los Angeles so that one of them can pursue an acting career, and it's Matt Damon and Greg Kinnear. Ooh, I'm into that. Yeah, and a fourth build share. <laughs> fourth build share is my new Instagram bio. <laughs> Or my handle, let's be honest. Yeah, fourth build share. I mean, so, I mean, that tells you this was a weird era where share would be fourth build in a Fairly Brothers movie. I love that, though. Yeah. I mean, Matt Damon, I I think he is great in this movie. And I think what you were saying before, too, is like, so is everyone else, though. I think there's a lot to talk about with Matt. Um, You know, he's the lead, the lead male, so he's not as enticing. But there him sort of playing this gay man, right? Yes. It's like, it's like yeah. there's so much of it that he, you know, there's so much to dig up as far as like being everyone else except myself. Um, you know, there's, there, you know, it sounds like an all right Mary lens for this type mm-hmm. of movie, but it, it's great to, so, it's fun to sort of mine those nuances because he, it, this is p- probably one of the first movies where I was like, oh, he is good. But I, I get what you're saying, too. And this is how I've always felt of like he kind of reminds me of a George Clooney type. Like, yeah, he's like Hollywood royalty, but I, I've never really been impressed with him. But he is always sort of consistently just just fine. And I do think this is I would it's such an interesting point in his career, too, because like he's young and he's hot and was this or before Goodwill Hunting? Yes, this I'm, was I'm putting you on the spot with all that. That oh, was after. Like, that was like '97, I think. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Um, and he has such 
gay face Matt Damon. Do you know what I mean by that? I'm sure oh. you do. Oh, yeah, I have a mirror. I know what gay face is. Yeah, I, <laughs> I'm aware of the situation. He yeah. reminds... <laughs> go on, go on. Yeah. No, but yeah, he does. And I think that uh, that made a big difference. That was really important. T- Tom Ripley needed to have gay face. Yeah, it's. I feel... Obviously, it's not the first gay male on in cinema ever. But like, I feel like this is like... I don't know if people think of this performance when they talk about, you know, um, portrayal of gay men in film over, it wouldn't be, I mean, obviously I've never seen it, so I don't really know. And I know there's also that side conversation to have, like all gay men are flawed and like, it isn't great to like, he's basically like a serial killer because he's like so caught up and like who he doesn't want to be. And, but we see him kind of end up with someone at the end. And even then he still can't like pull himself together. But I, I do think he's great. I'll stop there. Well, sure. Someone could look at this and, and, and could they could whip out the p word. They could <gasps> say, "What's the p word?" It's problematic. Uh, you know? Okay. Someone yes. could say, "Oh, Tom Ripley's problematic," and I would say, "Take it up with Patty Highsmith. She wrote the book." You know, yes. it's, it, blame her. Blame that genius. But I listen. I also think that, like, you know. I'm here at the Oscars saying gay rights into somebody's phone, you know, gay rights. Um, Gay rights means that gay characters can be good. They can be evil. They can be complex. They can be tortured. They can be lovely. You know, they could be Rupert Everett in my best friend's wedding and they could be Matt Damon in the talented Mr. Ripley. And I, I think the twist here is that, Yes, he is an anti-hero and he's a murderer and he's a liar and all that. But like for two hours and 19 minutes, I'm mostly rooting for him to get away with it. Yes. And I can't believe like that pivotal scene of when like the father comes over with his American lawyer. Like I was horrified and also excited for him. I'm like, you got away with it, but you're terrible. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. Like when he gets away with it to such an extent at the end and you know spoilers for a 24 year old movie but he gets away with it to such an extent he gets money he gets i mean and then what i love is that and this is where then i'm like conflicted because he gets away with it he gets the money you know he's on the ship with uh you know with peter and then it's like there's this final act little knot that he's still in because guess who's on the ship as well meredith and aunt joan and you know (sighs) she thinks he's dicky and peter thinks he's tom and and then he has that little slip when he's talking to tom and and you know refers to himself as dicky and it's it's just an interesting thing of like I, am I still on Tom's side at the end? Because I think what I really want to happen is for Tom and Peter Smith Kingsley to live happily ever after. Like, I think that would be my ultimate yep. happy ending. But instead, I mean, so it, it, it's that the, the fact that, like, I am rooting for somebody who is continuing to do bad things and be a bad gay. And um, yeah. I think that's different than, I don't know. I guess the way that someone would so that there, there have been criticisms of, you know, like Norman Bates or something like that, who, who he's very sure. similar to. I, I love the ending. I love this whole movie, by the way, like I was so into it. And I, I think I would love to go back and watch it again now, knowing what 
even that conversation he has with Meredith on like the dock there or wherever they are in the ship, he asks her if she's alone. He's weighing out the options, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? She's like, oh, actually, we, I'm here with a ton of people. So he has to make that decision. And I, I'd be interested in like to see if there's a face journey there of like knowing that he has to kill Peter or, you know, something has to happen to Peter. And like, I'm, I think that one of the coolest things about this movie is to see how quickly he comes up with something in the moment and also like mm-hmm. even if he has a little bit of time like it is it's crazy and so fun to watch yeah I, and that's i think that's the real that's the 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 twist of it is that yeah he's doing terrible things but it's so fun to watch him get away with it and to see how he's going to figure out you know what the what the explanation the explanation will be for having Dickie's rings, or you know when he sets up the the meeting at the cafe with both Meredith and oh Marge and Peter, and you're like, Tom, what are you doing? You're supposed to be yep. them, and you're Tom, you're Dickie to her, and you're Tom to them, and and so in a way, it's like, I think what I love is like Tom is really good at deceiving people, but he also likes to get just close to being caught yes yeah there's like a weird not weird but like it's he almost gets off of off of knowing how smart he is and that he can get away with it especially if he has enough time to plan but -hmm. you really don't see like either it's like a split second pivot or sometimes he can really think about it like when he talks to um, you know, the couple that he's going to meet for lunch, but he already agreed to go out with Meredith too. And I was like, how is this going to work? And it just, it works out perfectly. I right. Can't Cause believe that, it. then you see how it plays out and it's like, Oh, of course. Oh yeah. Ha- that's how you got Meredith off the trip. Tom, you're so talented. Yeah. That's the word. That's I feel the like word. the, the ship, the ship scene is almost like his bridges moment, you know? Oh my God. Yes. His, yes. And like, we're, we're just like, <laughs> Because I, I think, you know, Marge Marge probably gets the, like, I have to go, we have to go moment in the apartment earlier. But it is truly, yes. the, the, for in terms of, like, what Tom experiences, his version of the Bridges scene is is that moment where I think Peter starts to sniff him out a little bit towards the end. Of like, Yes. Peter would be, yeah. like, Pierce Brosnan. He, he only he lets him choke on the shrimp. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Oh. Um you know, just, you know, for anyone who doesn't know, I guess we should, you know, we should just yeah. set We're up. jumping all around here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but again, 24-year-old movie. We all know this movie. So The Talented Mr. Ripley is about Tom Ripley, who is, from the beginning, we see is a, a bit of a shyster. He is playing, you know, he's the accompanist at a party, you know, for the Greenleafs, the, the very rich shipping magnets, the Greenleafs. And is wearing a jacket with a little Harvard insignia, which makes uh, Mr. Greenleaf, what's his name, Herbert Greenleaf, played by played by James. I never know how to say his last name. Reporn, Rebhorn, Reber. Yeah, you that know, guy. He's in everything. That guy. He's in everything. Think, oh, oh, you went to Harvard. Do you know my son, Dicky? You know, and and of course, Tom's like, oh yeah, how is old Dicky? And it's probably a little more complicated and complex in the book but it's fairly convenient that herbert's like well you know my son dickie's off in italy and and you know i i just want him to come home and and what if we arranged a situation where i paid you a thousand dollars to go to italy and get my son back 
and Tom, who is in fact just a lowly usher at a theater who is borrowing a jacket, is like, "Well, sure, I'll go get my not Harvard, Princeton, excuse me." Um, yeah, I will go get. Yeah, didn't even catch that. Yeah, one ahead. of those. Yeah, I'll go get my little my brother from Princeton, and off he within the first twenty minutes, off he goes to Italy, and. Of all of the people and all of the beaches and all of the, you know, uh, beautiful men of Italy, he very quickly tracks down Dickie and his fiance Marge. Yes. And I think that's maybe this helps. Maybe it doesn't. But I think it was the 50s. This is set in the 50s. And I feel like something like this could fly. And it even makes sense at the end, too, when Marge, you know, no one believes women. Um, mm-hmm. That like she actually is telling the truth. She's just like an uh, like an hysterical woman, just shouting things, and you know she's paranoid. But I think some of those stories, like what you're describing, the plot is a little crazy on paper, but it could happen. Like in the fifties, people just did crazy stuff. Yeah, and and I'm here for the ride. I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah. whatever, sure, yeah, let's go to Italy. And you know, uh, on his way there, once he arrives in Italy, he and I, I again, this kind of sets up this great device of of Meredith Logue, played by Kate Blanchett. He meets Meredith, uh, you know, uh, as the, you know, they're getting their bags and going to customs, and and it's she's, I mean, she, yeah, she's just, uh, you know. Uh, also, she's an she's a textile heiress, and she's you know just off traveling the world, and and at first it's just kind of like a a, a little meet cute at the you know at the dock, and then off Tom goes to his you know his his sort of um, I don't know whatever whatever is about to happen with Dickie and Marge, and yeah. he kind of infiltrates Dickie and Marge's relationship and, you know, pretends to be Dickie's old Princeton buddy. And of course, Dickie doesn't remember him, but he doesn't, he, you know, he doesn't remember anything from that time. And, um, you know, kind of worms his way into their lives to, uh, let's say, homoerotic extents. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know that's where it was going. For some reason, I thought he was really going to commit even though he is technically trying to be Dicky, like I thought he was going to like be more method about it and never go back to Tom. You know what I mean? So I, I didn't know where the plot was going, but I mean, good Lord, it was intimate. And like Jude Law, the way that he s- sort of slinks around and it's kind of like not open to it, but into it, if that makes sense. Yeah, because like Dickie is, and I really I get why Jude Law was nominated for an Oscar because I think Dickie is a really interesting. Like he's definitely he's a narcissist. He takes up a lot of space. He he has no qualms about taking up space, and I I, I felt that of like this guy is just. I don't know. He just exists out loud, and you know, he takes Tom to the jazz club, and like just has to be the 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 star of the room and and has to be involved in everything and and uh, you know Marge of course like you know points out to Tom at one point you know when when you've got Dickie's attention it's like the sun is shining on you and i and so it's this fascinating relationship where like Dickie has so much magnetism and so much power but it's you know it's kind of like the the little like rocking horse outside of the supermarket where you put the quarter in and you get like a 30 yeah, second ride yes that that ride ends and nikki and and dicky will get distracted or he'll turn his attention to somebody else and you are in the clouds again yeah and tom is like the next quarter that came along yep or handed yeah. him a quarter 
And then got yeah. on the back of the horse. Wink, wink. Uh huh. Wink, wink. Yeah, you know. Uh, and I mean, it gets to be. I, I feel like here it is. Always an, an hysterical blindness reference. Tom yes. Ripley gets a little bit of like you know Debbie. Uh, what's her name? Debbie. What's Debbie's last name? Debbie Miller. Uh, turns yes. into a bit of a Debbie Miller because Dickie is kind of like Rick. You know, she's yeah. just you know he's just enamored and like very quickly drains the um the attention that he gets from Dickie. I feel like there's a limited supply and then once it starts to run out, Dickie just shuts off. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because it, it, it I feel like I've met people like this. Like there was a guy that or maybe still know people like this, but like I remember when I worked in New York, there was a guy named James and he was so cool and he he worked at like Kidville with me. And uh, I played piano in like the music class and he played guitar and like all the moms were in love with him. And he just had like he was like effortless and so charming and so handsome that you wanted his attention. And I always wanted to like hang out with him outside of work. But I like we were close, but not that close. And it happened like once or twice. And it was like so cool that we were finally hanging out with him. But then he just like got busy and like we were I was transferred to another location. And I, um, you know, I, I still kind of kept in touch, but I totally get that, like that those types of people or personalities that you feel like you're hanging out with a popular kid. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, Marge is just trying to be. I, I feel like she's just trying to be, like, the good, patient fiancé, just, you know, ready for when the sun's going to shine on her and patient for when the when the clouds shift. Because, of course, Dickie is also cheating on her and has been sleeping with a local Italian woman named Silvana. Silvana. Uh, and, and we really kind of see that, also, we really kind of see that shift happen once we are introduced to Dickie's good friend, Freddie Miles. Freddie. Played by Philip, Queen Philip. Queen Philip, who, for as much as Dickie takes up space, Freddie just gobbles up space. He is like someone like this. I don't know how they live. I don't know how, like, just, you know, pulling up his car in the middle of the piazza, just walking around with this big swagger. Like, Freddie is the epitome of main character syndrome. Oh, yeah. I mean, I want, I have this, like, Keon got me this gift, I don't even know when. Um, it's this poster of, like, all the Broadway costumes from, like, Showboat all the way up to, like, Hamilton. And it's just one costume that represents each show. And it's really cool. And they don't have, like, faces. It's, like, cool graphics. It's just, like, the costumes. And I want one, but with, like, every Philip Seymour Hoffman role. Like, I want his, like crazy get up and twister i want this movie i want capote because i just feel like the man can do anything yeah i think about you know boogie nights that like tight t-shirt and like yes oh yeah i'm in doubt mm -hmm. you know like it's it's mm -hmm. so cool yeah so you know philip seymour hoffman we have you know he is appropriately a queen for us because we've talked about him quite a bit uh, yeah. And and certainly will more, but yeah, we have now you know we've talked about him at you know Boogie Nights and you know more or less in doubt we talked about when we did the uh, Vicky Cristina Barcelona episode, um, yeah, this movie Twister. He's you know he's you know we're he's not we're never he's just we're never gonna do Cold Mountain, so nobody worry about Ew. that. Yeah, no thanks, no Sorry. thank you. Sorry, Renee. 
Yeah, I just don't. You know, if we do ever do the movie Happiness, which I just, it, I'm, I, oh my God, I think it would be a really interesting movie, but I feel like we would need to do something so light the following week because Happiness is just so gross. I remember, I, refresh my memory here. I'll pull it up on IMDb as you say this. What is what is happiness? What is happiness, so ha- Colin? What is happiness? So happiness is directed by this guy, Todd Solans, who does, he does these movies where, you know, it'd be like an ensemble of, of you know, interconnected stories of, of very just fucked up people. And so happiness, you know, has, I mean, there's like, you know, a, a suburban dad who's a pedophile and there's like, oh, you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman play like makes like obscene phone calls and um, Jane Adams plays this like incredibly just depressed woman who, you know, the first scene is her having this like God awful date with John Lovitz. Like it's fucking dark, but I mean, you know, like there's a lot of great, acting in it there's a lot of great moments and harada is in happiness what yeah i'm molly shannon ben mm-hmm. gazzara ben gazzara uh yes historical um, blindness yes yes yeah cameron manheim is in it um cynthia stevenson who was in home for the holidays and we love jane adams so we do we do love her yeah so and like you know it's Oh, it's two hours and 14 minutes. Okay, maybe we'll oh my never goodness. do happiness. Never mind. Yeah. All right, it's, it's too much. We can, I didn't, though. I didn't realize. I thought it roll. was in it. Yeah, we, right. I mean, listen, once we did 20th Century Women, I was like, I'm ready for long movies. <laughs> I know, yes. If, it, if they're all like that, <laughs> yeah, bring yeah, it I can, on. I can handle it. You know, that was an hour and 56 minutes. Yeah. And this was two hours and 19 minutes, but I'll tell you, except for like a few moments here and there, this movie zipped by. <laughs> Yeah, I I think I peeked at it only once, and there were fifty minutes left, five zero, and I was like, "Whoa!" I was mm. like, "What else is gonna happen?" And I was like, "Oh no!" It's like I I I wasn't running out of steam, but I was just I don't know, my attention span is nothing these days. So I was just like, and then I was over it, and then it like took off, and I was mm-hmm. like, "Yes." So yeah, it it's action yeah. packed. It's a lot of movie. There's a lot, you know. It 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 really plays out. Like I can see how this is an also a novel. Um, it it has an expansive story. So, yeah, I feel like um, it would be a great book. Yeah. Downside is that the character of Meredith is not in the book. I know, which is actually so interesting because I feel like she plays such a pivotal role in the end. I I wonder how the book ends. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but in this case, you know, uh, as, as Tom starts to feel Dicky pull away from him. Uh, you know, and and also I feel like is sometimes testing the waters with Dickie, including a very memorable bathtub scene. Yes, Keon said he thought he remembered seeing Jude Law's uh, penis, and that was not the case. But he saw some butt. I feel like I saw some pubic hair or something. Yeah. I saw something. Yes, that's true. That's true. Yeah, I saw something, but you definitely see a lot of butt, and I mean that scene. Oh my God, that scene when when Tom was like, I'm kind of cold, can I get in? And I was just like, this is so hot. This is so <laughs> fucking hot. Ugh. And the way that Jude Law, Dickie, just kind of pauses and he's like, no. But doesn't mm-hmm. say like, ew, no. 
I think there's so much in that no that I just like loved Jude Law for that. And Mm -hmm. because it kept the momentum going. It didn't like and, you know, he kind of, of course, perfectly pivots by saying, like, I didn't mean with you in it. You know, it's such Mm -hmm. a perfect cover. And he's so convincing that you truly believe he didn't mean it that way. But he did mean it that way. So it's just oh, so good. Yeah, and then, of course, Dickie catches him looking at him in the reflection, like staring yes. at his naked butt. And Dickie's walking around naked. It's not like he's very quickly covering up. Yes. So, I mean, Dickie obviously is a huge narcissist, as I said, and so, like, he loves the attention. And I, I think that we never really know how far it could go, but I feel like, you know, a- after a few too many Aperol spritzes, I don't I don't know what could happen. I don't know. I think so too. And I feel like if he it's like Tom's one flaw too is like I feel like he got emotional about it. Like he let his emotions kind of dictate how cuz like the bathtub scene was like perfectly like temper. Like he had a way in, but he also had a way out. But like mm-hmm. other time like when he's dancing around, when Tom's dancing in like Dickie's clothes and Dickie like catches him, it's like you're better than this, Tom, you know, like, but he didn't plan for him to come back earlier, Mrs. Train or whatever. And then he kind of just, I feel like it's a dynamic shift. I feel like Dickie is so enamored with Tom at first. And then it suddenly switches over a few incidents. Yeah. And I also think the presence of Freddie, I feel like Freddie sniffs out, even before he knows he sniffs out Tom right away. There's like a suspiciousness about Tom right away. And I think, when they go to that record store and Freddie and Dickie are in the little booth listening to music, it's like Dickie is kind of, he's like, oh yeah, well we're going to go to this club, but like you're going to, you were going to go just like be a tourist in Rome. So like, don't, don't let us stop you. Like Dickie's moved on to his good friend, Freddie. Sometimes you need a friend from the outside to be like, you know, this guy is really weird, right? Like I know he's giving you a lot of attention, which you love, but also who is this guy again? How do you know him? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so they, I think when they're in San Ramo, they, they go out on the boat to go scope out a new place to live. And, you know, because Dickie's like, this is how I found, a, you know, the last place. I just, you know, went along the coast and I picked out which house I liked. And they go out into the middle of the, you know, the ocean or wherever they are. And, and yeah, Tom, I feel like Tom loses control for like maybe the only time in the movie, he completely loses control of the situation. Yeah. And as you said, he gets emotional and he gets all caught up in, in the fact that, you know, Dickie's going to marry Marge and he's, and he got, you know, Silvana pregnant and, um, you know, it's like, what are you doing? And like, th- Tom is starting to kind of talk like a spurned lover. Like, well, what are you doing? And, and you're just giving me like, Oh, well, we're just brothers, whatever. It's like, he, the you know the the panic comes out i guess you know his own his own kind of gay panic starts to arise yes and it's 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 all over from there too because it it's like tom kind of started it and then it's like dickie's gonna come back with way more it's like it's like ramona singer if you insult her she's gonna come back and just annihilate you and say something Mm -hmm. so awful so awful enough that uh you know tom picks up a pole or something on the, the boat and just yeah. whacks him over the head and kills him. Yeah, oh, you know, in an, inter- in an interesting way, it's like Dickie 
sees Tom for who he is. Like you're a leech. Like you're weird. You're and like those. I think that's like the deep shame that Tom has. Is like deep down the the real Tom Ripley that he's trying to not be. Like Dickie saw it. He saw it in that moment, and Tom freaked out and whacked him in the head with the oar. And then you know they get into that fight, and then Tom just kills him. And it's like. I mean, it is very much like Psycho where, you know, much like Norman, you know, putting her body in the car and sinking yes. it in the swamp, we see, you know, the boat being sunk in the in the bay and and then, you know, the deception begins and then, you know, act two of the Tom Ripley affair begins. Oh, yeah. I mean, lest we, lest we forget um, also the, Tom snuggling with Dickie in the boat after he's dead too. I think that's like important to mention. Oh yeah. Right. I forgot about that. That yeah. He like, you know, lays in his arms in the boat in a boat full of bloody water. Oh my God. It was like, Oh, it was, it was so sick but and, and so sad because like, I don't know, as a gay man, I was like, Oh, this like, this is all you wanted. You just wanted intimacy. I know, but barking up the wrong tree. Haven't we Absolutely. all been there? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, well, you know, then he's got to really craft the story of like, I don't know where Dickie is. I don't know, Marge. I mean, because he, he goes back to, you know, uh, Marge's house. And I don't know if you remember the trailer or the commercials for this movie, but he, you know, he she's in the back garden writing and he says, hello, Marge. And she screams. And they always yes. had that in all of the trailers for this movie. It's a good scream. It is. It's great. And, you know, uh, basically stages a breakup with Marge, you know, writes a letter from Dickie and and gives her perfume and, and, you know, starts to, I guess, throw Marge off the trail. Yeah, you never see him sweat. I think that's something that's so important until that last, not the last scene, obviously, but um, when, when jumping ahead to when Marge confronts him with the rings is the only time you really see him scrambling, knocking over bottles. But like... He's cool as a cucumber in that scene. He's like, yep, this is, it's, it's truly, um, it, I don't know. It's just like, it made me feel like I couldn't trust anyone. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right, right. Because it's like, man, I, if I were Marge, who would I, why would I question any of this? You know, because yeah. Marge, of course, is very fond of Tom at this point. They've really established a bond. And it's funny because I, I think it's very much between the lines, but they have a very much gay man, straight woman sort of energy relationship. Yeah, because she's not, you think that she, maybe she would have something against Tom, like, you know, this, this annoying person who's like really coming in between the two of them, but she's just, she kind of lets it happen because I think she also knows Dickie well enough that this will phase out. And Marge is also in it for like the long haul too. It's like, she's kind of willing to put up with him because she does love him, even though she know I'm sure she probably knows about the affairs too. Like she's not a, a dumb woman, uh, but it's interesting to see that all play out. Well, yeah. Cause when they're on the boat, when it's Freddie and Marge and Tom and Dickie out on that boat earlier in the movie, like she knows what Tom is going through and cause she's going through it as well. You know, uh, Freddie and Dickie are, are, you know, Dickie, Freddie's got Dickie's attention and Marge knows that Tom is feeling kind of pushed off because she's like girl i've been there and yes i know exactly so and and so it's i I like the idea that marge maybe she doesn't have maybe she doesn't fully know that tom is gay but she can see that there is some sort of 
enamor he's some he's enamored with dicky in some way she knows there's there's some sort of at least like you know a bit of a boy crush going on and i i love that i love that she has kind of she's yeah she's not threatened by tom there's a sort of a sensitivity towards him and uh yeah it's there in some ways it's like tom and marge you know they have the potential of a very sweet little friendship yeah and i think gwyneth is really well cast in this too because i think she has that I don't know. She has that calmness about her and like just kind of go with the flow energy. And she's a good actress. I mean, I, I feel like like especially in like the last act of this movie, I think she's great. Mm. Um, I, I think that um, it kind of plays. No one really has like a transatlantic Atlantic accent in this, but it, she kind of plays with it a little bit. I feel like Kate Blanchett definitely plays with it. I feel like this performance informed like the Catherine Hepburn and the aviator, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just like a few shades away from that. Um, but I, 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 when I first, I think maybe when we talked about it last week too, it's like, I don't, I see everyone else in this movie, but I don't see Gwyneth Paltrow in this movie. And I think after watching it, I was like, no, this is, this is kind of perfect. Yeah. I thought she was great in this. I, I mean, yeah. Marge for, for much of the movie isn't, she's not given a, tremendous amount to do other than to be like oh have you heard from dicky oh but where's dicky but what about yeah. dicky like she's it, it it's you know this movie could have with you know some small changes could have very much been made in the 50s or the early 60s and she would have that you know um that leading lady role where she mostly gets to play concerned you know she mostly gets to just be beautiful and concerned and yes. um but but she's great at it, and yeah, in Act Three she gets a bit more uh, a, a bit more to do. But uh, it's also worth mentioning, just in terms of, of things that happen, is that Silvana also kills herself earlier yes. in the movie, and in that incredible scene, the like um, uh, the, that Virgin Mary rising out of the water scene, that that ceremony that they were doing, and then Silvana's body comes bobbing up, and. Dickie has like a very, uh, you know, emotional reaction to, you know, calling the ambulance and, and, you know, they say this place is civilized, but it's not. It took an hour to get an ambulance. And I feel like Marge, much like how she know she might know something about Tom without fully acknowledging it. She probably knows Dickie is almost inappropriate, excessively upset about this for just some random woman who died, you know? Yeah. I mean, when we were in Italy on the Amalfi Coast, too, I was like, where are the hospitals? It, so it like mm. made sense when they said that line. I was like, of course it would. You're in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it adds to adds to the drama of it all, too. I had to say something about the time period this was set in because I think, and maybe it was because, and I know Anne, Anne Roth did the costumes for this, too. I felt like I would have not known what decade this was in had I not looked it up. And I think it it kind of shows, and I don't know what I was looking for, but like it just felt like the 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 wardrobe or the makeup or the hair could have been a little tighter, you know. Like I I just feel like Matt Damon that kind of character didn't exist in like the fifties. He'd have like a like a parted, you know, hair parted on the side, you know, where I felt like he was like mm. nineteen ninety nine Matt Damon with the middle part. Does did you do you agree? Do you not? I you don't have to, but I just, I just felt like it took me out a little bit. Well, I, I, I guess I had a, a version of that, but it was more of like I was watching this, imagining this was literally a movie made in 1957. And so, I don't know. I, I hadn't thought about that, that like, is does Tom look 50s enough? I don't know. 
Yeah, I guess I wanted, I was looking for, oh, what's that one movie? Oh, like, I wanted it to look like Far From Heaven or like The Light mm-hmm. in the Piazza. I just mm-hmm. wanted a little bit. But that's, a, you know, it's it's also like their, um, it's like their holiday clothes. It's not, I don't know. It's like the movie seems casual enough where it didn't like completely take me out of it. But I was like, wait, what year is this? I think I looked it up like 30 minutes in because I just didn't feel like it was established enough. But that's just, that's really my only complaint. The rest of it was fabulous. Well, especially once we get to the opera set piece, because Ooh. in act two, uh, Meredith and Tom cross paths again. And I I have to say, I just love the idea that Meredith appears a little bit in act one, quite a bit in act two, and then a little bit in act three. I love the, the way that Meredith is worked into this movie. Yes, because I, I saw her BAFTA win. Um, you know, I was just kind of looking up stats as I was watching it and I was like, or not BAFTA win nomination, sorry. Um, and I was like, wow, she was nominated for this. And I was like, well, I guess she comes back and you're right. She does. And one of my favorite lines in the movie, and I can't remember when it is because she only shows up like three times. So, but she says, oh my gosh, but she's like, oh my gosh, the way that she says uh-huh. it, it's like, it's, it sounds like Watra Crappen's impression of Sheena, like yes. that sort of Fozzie Bear. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Like a Kristen Wiig character. It's so funny. Yeah, yeah, because she, I mean, she's doing that Kate Blanchett American accent that I love. Um, yes, we love but that. But yeah, they, re- so they reconnect and then he, um, but he's pretending to be Dickie Greenleaf with her because he's been lying to her from the start that he's Dickie. They go to the opera together and that's, of course, where... Uh, a, we finally see Aunt Joan herself, Celia Weston. Ah, uh, it was so good to see her. And a, and a, and a pitch-perfect sort of textbook Celia Weston role, you know? Yeah. I was like, is she going to have a Southern accent? And she didn't, but she was, I mean, she looked beautiful. I she mean, did. We're, we're so familiar with her as Peg in Junebug, where she's so uh. dressed down, and she's gorgeous in this. Yeah, I was happy to see her in that context, like as a rich aunt. Love that. I, I wish I had more. And then we, we do get a little bit more of her at the very end on the boat, but she's just like waving a hanky from above. But yeah, it's it seems like it's such a textbook um, screen time example of Celia Weston in any movie ever, it's, really. Yep. It's all you need. It's just a little bit of Celia goes a long, long way. Yes. And, and then when they're at the opera, that's then when Tom runs into Marge, who is there with Peter Smith Kingsley, played by Smash's own Jack Davenport. Ah, what a babe. I was so into him. Such a babe. Such a babe. Giving me a little bit of like Rupert Everett, my best friend's wedding, right? Oh my God, yes. I loved him in this movie. I loved his role. I was totally smitten with him. He had like that 90s sort of like, it wasn't a bowl cut, but it, you know, it just fell perfectly. And I think that Marge mentions him earlier in the movie. Like I should introduce you to Peter Smith Kingsley. And it's sort of like that. I know you're gay. Let me introduce you to someone who could love you back sort of uh, sentiment. So when they bump into him, I was, I was as excited as, you know, Tom is. In a way, yeah, and and like right away, like you you get the like, especially as gay men, but it's it's written and directed and acted perfectly of like the the gay vibe, like oh we're the sizing up, yes, the sizing up, and, yes. What and is that? It's you just, just know, 
you just know you just it's just that spidey sense and and i love that because even though like peter and marge are at the opera together at no point do i think that like oh peter's marge's new boyfriend like it just all yep. reads so perfectly that he's the gay friend with marge oh yeah i perfect that like comparison with rupert everett i think that's per, like spot on and but to kind of finish out this scene too it's like he has this is like a per, perfect example of how he has to pivot really quick too. But he is panicking a little. You could see him sweating because he's mm. like, fuck, Meredith's going to be back in a sec. I can't believe I bumped into Marge. And I love that he bumped into Peter first. I thought that was perfect. Yeah, because then it's like, because Peter's like, oh, I think I saw Meredith here. And so it's just like that 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 tension that this movie has so many times of like, oh shit, oh shit. Oh my God, you gotta get out of there. You gotta get out of there. And, you know, and that's when Tom, you know, tells Meredith like, let's get out of here. And they they go off for a, you know, a carriage ride. And, um, and, and she, you know, what's so funny is that it's, it's an interesting comparison to the way that Tom kind of has unrequited feelings for Dickie. Meredith has these unrequited feelings for Dom, for Tom slash who she yeah. has Dickie, you know? Yeah. I think that's such a, oh my gosh. It's like, I, I wish I'm glad that Meredith was spared, but I wish there was a scene where she found out everything too. And but oh, like she had yeah. enough heartbreak for the movie, I suppose. Like her heartbreak is just that like she could never really be with Tom, and she knew that. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, right, right. Like she, because he's you know basically is pretending like oh I see I look at you and I just see Marge, and he's so caught up with Marge, and so uh, that night you know basically basically cock blocks her a little bit, and. And that's when he sets up, like, well, meet me tomorrow at Danelli's at, at 10.15. And he's already told Marge and Peter, meet me tomorrow at Danelli's at 10.30. And you're like, oh, no, this is not going to end well. And it, and it leads to maybe one of my favorite scenes in the movie is then Meredith then crossing paths with Peter and Marge. And then, like, I just loved watching Meredith and Marge interact. Yes. Uh, I, there's so much to say here. I have to rewind for a second, too, because I love how Tom, it's a script thing more than anything i guess how he says like 10 30 no wait 10 15 because if mm. she gets there at 10 15 it doesn't look like at like as it almost looks like it's set up even though they would never know that but tom would know that right it's like he's he's not going to be sloppy about it he's and but he maybe thinks of that on the spot too which is great and i love the line it's like she goes from Kate blanchett to Kate blanchett when she said you should always save pain for the daylight and she sort of like mm. laughs and like mm -hmm. kind of almost cries a little bit. And then she just sort of like walks off into the mist. <laughs> but I I love that line. I just had to say that real quick. No, I'm glad you did because I feel like it gives Meredith some like some layers and some dignity in this movie. She's not just kind of like the dumb ingenue who's not seeing it. Yeah. And she gets so excited for lunch the, or the next day or breakfast. So we flash forward to that. And it's just just seeing them and like Meredith figuring it out because she says hi to Peter first and when mm -hmm. when she says Marge it's just like she's it's like she's seen a ghost yeah and it's and it's so like that conceding of like oh you know Dickie you know he loves you and uh and like it, it really is her kind of it's it's that thing of like I'm not I'm not gonna like be mad at you Marge because you have the man that I want to be with and of course the whole time in the man that she thinks she wants to be with is, you know, yes. dead in the water. But there's just, there's such, there's such a great tension between, between Meredith and Marge behind their, their dueling sunglasses. 
Oh, God, I love how she shakes her hand at the end. She kind of like turns and then comes back and she's like, I'll shake your hand. And she, you know, and mm-hmm. she just runs off. And you know she's not coming back. It's so perfect because why would she ever turn around unless she forgot like her sunglasses or something? But it's yeah. it's those details don't matter. And she gets like a little choked up as she says goodbye and like kind of runs off before they can see that she's upset. And I always like this is such a great usage of a supporting character. This is just this is what I this is why we have this podcast is for the for the inclusion of Meredith Logue in this movie. Oh, yeah. I'm in the fact that they wrote it in for her. I think it's just it's seamless how she fits into the story. Yeah, it's so it's just a whole other layer that I I. I just find so exciting. Oh, yeah, Meredith, it's super I cool. I love her. Yeah, she's so great in it. Well, and then, of course, I was like, well, when are we going to see Freddy again? Because I also absolutely love the device of Freddy in this movie, who is like, I'm not buying this. What's going on here? And that the whole scene of Freddy later coming to the apartment to confront Tom, I was like, it was just so it was so exciting. I don't know. It was just like, again, such a great use of a supporting character of someone who's like, Oh yeah. Okay. You're a, you're pretty quick study, aren't you? And like, just starts to see through it. And you're like, I know this isn't going to end well, but, and again, it's very much like psycho that as like people, as that one detective arrives at Norman's house after Marion dies, you're like, I know. Oh yes. Well, you know? Yeah. Get out of that apartment. And he does. And then he comes back because, like, there's so many. He's picking up on things, and he talks to the woman downstairs because she said to Peter, not Peter, uh, Freddie, that that he's in, that um, Dickie's in, and he's upstairs, but, like, he's nowhere to be found. And then he goes back upstairs, and there's, like, the act one, you know, bust of that statue. Right, right. Yeah. and Yeah, right, because it's like, you know, she's like, oh, and then because I think Tom looks over the side of the 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 banister and then the landlady's like oh mr mr greenleaf you know oh mr dickey and then yeah freddie's like you know now he's like okay something's going on he goes back upstairs and gets bonked in the head with the bust and then it's like oh my god i like i kind of forgot that this was going to happen i had forgotten that freddie was going to die but of course this character always gets killed in movies like this yeah, it's like there's part of me that like I feel like Freddie wouldn't even give a shit because he's just like this playboy that sort of parties all the time. But I, I do like that he's sort of looking out for Dickie. And because at that point, too, it's like no one knew where he was, I guess. Yeah, there is a part of me and I know that he's very much not. But there was a part of me that really wanted Freddie to be gay. Yeah, I think it's I think we always want Philip Seymour Hoffman to be a little gay in yeah. every movie because it just fits uh but yeah i i got that too he has a very kind of fey energy i think at one point he even like kind of holds his hands like very fey in the scene and like it kind of had like a limp wristed kind of pose at one point and i thought oh you know freddie miles is a great character but if freddie was just a big old queen mm. oh because his opening line is don't you just want to fuck every woman you meet just once but like if he said man it'd be mm-hmm. the best opening line of any gay character in 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 all of cinema yeah oh i so but freddie's great so so then freddie's dead and then you know tom's you know pretends he's drunk and drags him out to the car and you know dumps him off a cliff and Oh my God. It's just, you know, and at this point, yeah, it's like, it, it's getting wound up tighter and tighter of like, you know, okay, who's, who's the next to go. And I, and 
the scene where it seems like Marge might be next to go, I was like, I know, I'm pretty sure she doesn't die in this, but like that was tense. Oh my gosh, I was so nervous because I just the way he sort of like cat and mouses her in the apartment too. It's like he's so. Like I said before, too, he's fumbling all over the bathroom to find something inconspicuous enough to kill her, but to mm-hmm. also not make her run out of the apartment, too, because she's kind of, she knows what's going on. And he's sort of, but he comes out cool as a cucumber and just sort of like walks and talks towards her. And the, the cutting of like his finger, I guess, is he just like squeeze? Is that just to show that he's like squeezing the knife like Dorinda in that one season of Housewives? Yes. Yeah, oh, yeah, God. yeah. He's like, yeah, you know, because the, you know the setup is that she finds Dickie's rings, and you know he's in the bathtub. She finds Dickie's rings, and you know and then we we get a little bit of Matt Damon's butt as well for anybody who's oh, yeah. stupid score. We get a little Damon butt, and you know, and then she's like, okay, something's going on here, and and he's he's got you know he's got the robe on, he's got the the blade in his pocket. You know, it's it's somewhat reminiscent. Do you remember in fatal attraction at the end when Glenn close has the knife and she's like scratching her leg with it oh, in the God, bathroom. Yes. And it's like, and you can see that she's like cutting her thigh with it. I felt like it was very similar Ooh. to that. And then he's, yeah. like, you know, he's like approaching her. He's like, Oh Marge, like I can explain everything. Like, look at you, you're shaking. And she's just like, Oh my God. I was like, Oh Marge, you got to get the fuck out of there. You got to get the fuck out of this apartment, Marge. And then thank God. Peter shows up. Yeah, it's like straight out of a horror movie because he was inches away from letting her have it too. Mm -hmm. And then the way that he just sort of backs up and he's like, you try talking to her like, you know, again, hysterical woman in the 50s. Mm -hmm. She just, I don't know, she's just so in her emotions right now and it just works. And Peter even falls for her, which I hate. Oh, yeah, because really in the third act, what also then develops is this relationship between Peter and Tom. Yeah. You throw your gals under the bus for some dick. <laughs> yeah, right? It's like, well, listen, listen, Margie, you're going to need to go calm down because, you know, uh, I, you know, nobody's- got to patch up his hand, yeah. Yeah, right. There's no homosexuals in Italy. I need to, uh, so I've got one. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, certainly in the end, like, you know, Dickie's father comes back to Italy and he comes with Philip Baker Hall as a as an investigator and, you know, the, the police are, you know, there's the Italian investigator and there, and, and Tom- you know, is, is becoming more, more of a prime suspect and, you know, and, and there's the, you know, Marge, there's that one scene where she comes to the apartment and he, and Dickie, or Tom's like right on the other side of the door. And like, Oh yeah, that's a great scene. You know, and Marge is like, you know, uh, I don't know what you did, but, or, you know, you, you've broken my heart and I don't know why. And it's just, it's so sad that she like doesn't even know that Dickie's dead, but thinks that he's just like, ghosting her he's just shutting her out yeah that line where she's like i won't count on you anymore and she like yeah. breaks down it's so good Ugh. and then in the end yeah he uh i guess as it works out the 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 convenient twist is that basically herbert greenleaf wants like dickie's got a sordid past and there'd be reason to believe that even he may be the suspect in Freddie Miles's death. And, you know, he, Tom has essentially staged Dickie's, you know, suicide, written a suicide note. And so basically Herbert pays Tom off to not tell anybody about this. I couldn't believe it. I was like, whoa. And even like to the details of this, and there are more than just what I'm about to say, but like, 
the one person who saw Tom dump uh, Freddie's uh, like body into his car, like was cheating on his wife that night, so he doesn't mm-hmm. want to come forth and testify. I was like, God, that's so good, and like not out of the realm of like plausibility too. And like, granted, like it's just it's an enormous amount of luck for sure, but it it just I loved that. Yeah, right, right. That it's just it, it's almost like the. Someone's someone else's deception protected Tom's deception. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God. And thank God, at least Marge gets that scene on the dock towards the end where she, you know, attacks Tom. And I know you did it. I know you killed him. And she's hitting him. And I, I was like, oh, give it to him. Just give it to him, Margie. I know. And she's ripped away. Put yeah. her in a straitjacket. Folks. Yeah, right. Oh, you know, take her take her uterus out. She's hysterical. <laughs> yes, I know. God. <laughs> uh, and then yeah, then we get this kind of, you know, final little act where then he's uh he and he and Peter are off to they're off to somewhere. They're off to somewhere to for some uh performance that Peter's gonna do Prague or something like that. And then yeah, he runs into to act three Meredith. I was so sad because I, 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 first of all, I just love how it plays out at the end. Like you don't see him kill Peter. Mm-hmm. And again, I would like to go back and watch the face journey. Like when he opens the door to Peter, to their bunk, you know, mm-hmm. and how he kind of, I don't even know. Like he says, like, I just want to stay here for the rest of the trip. And thinking that maybe I feel like Tom just ran out of steam. It's like maybe if he was just starting this ruse that Tom would have the energy to make it work, but they're on a boat. It's like, it's, it's just, it's the perfect setup. And he eventually, the way that he kills him too, where he's just like, tell me, tell me about Tom Ripley. And you know, Peter's just like, he's all, all these adjectives. And then finally he says, he's Tom is crushing me. He's crushing me. And then I guess he suffocates him, right? Or is that is that that strap that he was holding? He just chokes him to death. Yeah, I guess he he was like holding him down, and then he was choking him with that strap. And and we, we don't even and we don't see it, which I I appreciate that. It's I really like just, that. Yes. Yeah, we're just hearing it while we see Tom sitting alone in the room because it's like, yeah, I, yeah, maybe he's run out of steam. Maybe he just realizes that like, oh, Peter, Peter is starting to get a little bit suspicious and like is getting too close you know in some ways and to like seeing him seeing the real tom and of course they can't go and like you know go out on the boat because they're just going to run into meredith eventually and so um so in some ways meredith is the final girl in this movie yes oh my gosh kate 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 gets to be the final girl because she's just you know uh i mean that's the story I want to see continue. I, I want to see a sequel where, like, Meredith runs into Tom Ripley, like, two years later in New York. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, Tom. Oh, my gosh. Yes, I I would love that. That is the fan fiction for sure. I, I also have to say real quick, too, that I feel like Matt Damon has a Hillary Swank smile. <gasps> I had the you same know? thought. Such yes, Hillary I was Swank. like, his teeth. Yes. They could be siblings. I was like, what is it? What am I seeing? It took me a second to figure out whose teeth I was looking at, but it was, it's most certainly Hillary Swank teeth. Yes. There's oh, no question. Big Swank energy. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and I feel that, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No. Yeah. I, I agree. The actor, um, I think he has a twin. 
but his name is Charlie Carver. He was in the um, yeah, that Netflix, yep. that gay movie, the gay play. What was that called? Uh, oh Jesus oh. Christ! Uh, it was like Zachary Quinto and um, uh, oh, Boys in me... the Band. Yeah, the Boys in the Band. Yeah, the Netflix. Yeah, he, he was in that, and like, my God, does he look like a young Matt Damon, or rather, Matt Damon looks like Charlie Carver. It was I. I just. It would if they ever did a remake. That's who they would oh, cast. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I'm looking at Charlie Carver right now. Oh my god. Oh my god. Yeah. He is too pretty. He looks like he looks I know. Like, he looks like AI though. I feel like he's he's AI. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like that's like AI create gay face, and that's, yes. that's what comes up. There it is. Yeah. He's, yeah. And he's got that. Is the brother gay too? Are they both gay? I think they both are. I I feel pretty confident saying that. But oh, may, who knows anything these days? Oh, Watch yeah. up on me. Maybe I'm wrong. Who knows, folks? You know what? In we we can we can believe whatever we want to believe. Yeah. Yes. No. We d- we deserve to believe that the Carver boys are gay. Um, <laughs> oh, they were in the leftovers too. You love the leftovers. I do love the leftovers. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, oh man, Anne. Anne. Yeah. All those dogs. Oh uh, no. You know, I will say though, I I feel like I was really sad that Peter died in the end. I love me too. Peter. I loved him so much, and like imagine not having that Smash history. Watching this, I mean, I still feel like you would feel the same, but mm. but he's he's so important to me. Oh my god, I he just is. Jack Davenport. Who? What was what was his? Car- I mean, how am I blanking on his name? Uh, Derek. Derek. Wills. Derek. Derek. Ugh. What else is he in? What else would could we ever talk about Jack Davenport in? I feel like he was in that movie with like he was he played like a, a groom, right? We covered one of those movies, right? There was a, or maybe it wasn't my best friend's wedding. There's a movie with him as a groom. The wedding he's date. drunk. What the wedding date with the Debbie Messing? Da- with Debbie Messing. The wedding date. And Dermot Mulroney. Who else Dermot- is in that movie? Oh, well, I'm looking up now. Jack Davenport's third bill. Amy Adams is in that movie. Oh, because I think that's who's like maybe him and oh gosh, I don't. I think maybe she's the bride. Yeah, and she it's plays a, a gr- character named Amy. Have you seen it before? Maybe, but like maybe like one of those like on a, on a on an airplane or something kind of movies where like you know I don't really remember it, but I do. Yeah, think sure. I saw it. Uh, an eighth build Holland Taylor. You know. Yes, there's a there's a character named Aunt B. Aunt oh, B. Aunt B. Helen Lindsay, that picture is crazy. Um, it's good, and I I do think again, it's like if Smash wasn't enough for us to realize it, she just I think she's such a great leading lady in that movie, and her and Dermot Mulroney have such great chemistry, and he's so hot in it. Like I feel like he's like forty two, you know, like just peak. Oh, it's occurring to me now that oh right, Debbie Messing and Jack Davenport were both in Smash. Oh, that's right! All these years later. Oh, I love that. I love. I I wish I can imagine them the first day on set, like, you know, right. hey Deb, hey, He's oh, like, hey, all right, everyone, let's be bad. <laughs> let's be bad. Let's do the wedding day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. Oh, that's so funny. Um, because yeah, yeah, so that movie came out in two thousand six or something, right? Yeah, this is yeah. this is definitely pre Smash. Yeah, so. All right. Well, you never know. Maybe we'll do. Maybe we'll do the wedding date someday. Maybe we'll do best supporting Amy in the wedding date. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I want Peter yeah. to survive. Ugh. Yeah, truly one of the BSAs of this movie for me. I I loved him so much. 
he had a, I mean, in some ways, his role was bigger than Kate Blanchett's. Like, he, he had a, yeah. I, I was, and it, you know, it takes a bit for him, you know, he doesn't show up until well over an hour in, but then he's pretty, a pretty significant character uh, through the second half of the movie. Yeah, agreed. I think everyone has, it's just perfectly written. I, I really, really, really like this movie. I would watch this again in a heartbeat. I just, yeah. especially now knowing what I know. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. This was, I'm so glad we did this. I'm so glad I, like, have seen this movie again. It's been so long, and it was so rewarding, and it, it, it just, it was that thing of, like, yeah, it's a long movie, but I love spending so much time in this world. Yep, especially, like, in that sort of, you know, when Tom and Dickie are in, like, it's the prime of that, like, the beginning of that relationship, I was like, I want, I want to stay here forever, especially in that, that tub scene. But oh. I, I just, I thought this was such a great choice. So well done. Well, well done. apparently there's, and I don't know what's going to happen with it, but apparently there is a TV mini series that I don't know, you know, who knows, but what? it's, it's scheduled for 2023, but I think it, there's not much details on it called Ripley that I think is basically this story and from what i can see oh, uh andrew man. scott plays tom ripley and dakota fanning plays marge i and love I, this and i mean and maybe they just don't have a lot of other details because i don't see a meredith in here but that doesn't mean anything but the idea that there could be like eight episodes of this where we could spend like a couple episodes just with the courtship of tom and dickie you know Oh God, Andrew Scott is so delicious. Like I, I only watched Fleabag all the way through once, but I, I feel like I, I'll watch that again someday because I feel mm. like there's so much more to uncover there. He's so hot. I though I feel like Andrew, uh, if you put Andrew Scott and Sebastian Stan next to each other, I couldn't tell you the difference. Or even Jonathan Bailey from Bridgerton. He's going to be playing Fierro in the Wicked movie too. But yeah, oh it's, yeah. It's, they're all beautiful. Yeah, they're all they're all fine. All of them, you know, all of them could deceive me in Italy anytime they want <laughs> yeah, to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh god. It's oh, well, any other thoughts on the talented Mr. Ripley? No, I I loved this movie. I no complaints. I thought it was just such a great cast, great women, great storytelling. 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10. Would do it again. And uh, with that, we are we're we're, we're being played off. Uh oh, uh oh, uh oh, uh oh, uh oh. What do we do? Uh oh. Uh-oh. Um. So, uh, where where can folks find more of you? They can find me on my other podcast, The Good Vanilla, which is a Barefoot Contessa podcast, or you can follow me on Instagram at Nick Kochanov. How about you? Well, you could hear more of me on All Right, Mary, where we're currently, you know, about thigh deep into All Stars 8 of the yes. Drag Race. And you could find me on Instagram at Drucker underscore. And you can get more of both of us in a best supporting capacity on Instagram at BSAPod. Or you can send us an email at thebsapod at gmail.com. 
And, uh, you know, keep your very talented peepers peeled because the Best Supporting After Show is coming up, you know, right around the corner. But the only way to hear that is to join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash bsapod where you can hear us catching up on some of the amazing TV going on right now, weighing in on our Best Supporting Assignments, our BSAs of the Week, so much more. Uh, and you get early access to episodes just like this, and that is again at patreon.com slash bsapod. What a deal. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, what a deal. <laughs> uh, all right, well, it is time for us to get into to our pre owned lease to edit yourselves named Ruth and Cheryl and get the hell out of here. So that's See what ya. we're going to do. Oh, and that's what we're going to do. And that, as they say, is that.